Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gill here with Mike Renner, ready to rip it up in sunny Cincinnati. Catching an early buzz with some of the transfer portal stuff. Then we're going to look at my latest mock draft, Todd McShay's latest mock draft. And then we have interviews with the Athletics' Bruce Feldman and Western Michigan wideout Sky Moore. Let's get it. Bruce Feldman joins the show today, Mike. We recorded that interview yesterday, and it was pretty phenomenal. I'm a I'm a huge fan of Bruce. Oh, Bruce is the king. He's like the what did you call him? The, the college Schefter. football, Schefter. Uh, college football. Uh, it's accurate. I, I think he's also a little more opinionated, journalistic. Yeah, as well. Like yeah, like he actually like writes other content besides purely news based. But he is the the source on all things. Are you football. saying Schefter's overrated? You don't think Schefter's good? No, that's a, no, that was not my take. Uh, do you remember Schefter back in like the NFL Network days? He had like a heel turn personality wise. I feel like not a heel turn. I don't really the remember inverse that. of a heel turn personality wise. Like he was kind of like a little like snooty when he was on NFL Network and was kind of like a little biting when he was on. I don't remember. And that. now he's kind of like the everyman's man, never like talks bad about anyone, always just kind of positive. There was kind of a, a turn in his career when he came over from NFL Network to ESPN. Wow. I didn't people know don't really quite, it's, it's not talked about enough. We opinion. should bring it up. We could just start a podcast about it. Uh, catch an early buzz. We've got to talk some of this transfer portal stuff. We bring it up to Bruce, but he doesn't talk destinations as much. He talks more about the transfer portal aura and how that's changing the landscape of college football. Quint Ewers, the former like top-ranked recruit that was committed to Ohio State, was only there for a cup of coffee, entered the transfer portal early in the offseason, is now committed to Texas. He is from Texas, one of the most decorated high school quarterbacks in Texas. Now he's at the University of Texas. Will he be at the podium mimicking Ellinger I'm back in like two years. Well, is is is, is Texas back? That, that I literally I think every single show in the United States has at one point said a segment is Texas back. Is Texas back? I am willing to say this is the closest they've been to back. Having a wow. quarterback like this with an offensive coordinator or a play caller like Steve Sarkeesian, I mean, it doesn't take long to see him throw a few footballs to know he has a little bit more arm talent than. Sam freaking Ellinger, who was you know obviously there for four years. Uh, do you? Here's a little bit of trivia. Do you know why he has the blonde mullet, or what the significance? Why that is? No, South Lake Carroll, where he went to high school, they all dyed their hair blonde for the playoffs. Apparently, every year. That's so, sick, dude. I know. I think, more you know, a little I, bit of trivia there. What's for crazy you. about I mean, that he's is known for it, but it's the uh, whole school is known. What, for what's it. crazy is that I think every school does that. Yeah, like well, that no, is legitimately. That. that is legitimately. It's I a think common every thing. school, yeah, yeah, it's very common. I yeah. think we we did that when I was a wrestler well, then in high school. Why was? Uh, well, <laughs> I guess I thought it was cooler than that. No. That was cooler than the same tradition. I think that every school does. I think every school does mohawks or, or bleached for like literally every school, every sport at every school does one of those things for for boy sports. I will say this: we've been talking a little bit behind the scenes, Mike, just yeah. behind the scenes, just a sprinkle about tailgate twenty twenty two. And what the tour looks like. I think this Ewers commitment makes Texas Bama at in Austin at Texas Memorial September 10th a fucking must visit. Yeah. I mean, we already have Notre Dame at Ohio State the week one at the Horseshoe locked in. That one's very locked in. 
we may be locking in Alabama at Texas very soon. It's, it, so week one is September 3rd, 2022. And th- yours will have Ewell Monroe at home. It's going to be a festival. Yeah. You know, yours is going to light him up. Eight TDs. People are going to be talking about him like he's Jesus Christ. That momentum, I think, could carry game day, could carry big new. It, it could carry a lot of people to this Bama game week two, September 10th in Austin at Texas Memorial. I think we're going to have to set up shop there. I think that's going to have to be cemented in. You know how we What's have the Texas first round? Memorial? That's the stadium, Texas Memorial Stadium. Isn't Daryl K. Royal? Oh, it's Daryl K. Roy, Texas Memorial Stadium. Okay. DKR, Texas Memorial. <laughs> I don't think anyone calls it Texas Memorial. <laughs> but like, you know how we for? have the first round lock segment? Yeah. We need to eventually, potentially, eventually, potentially have the tailgate lock segment where we lock a different lock game every single oh, week. Oh, I like that. Because I, I think, and I don't want to lock this one in yet. Or the Columbus one, even though you're a big Notre Dame Golden Dome. No one's getting locked in. I, I do think that this game might be, might be an absolute treat that we have to attend. Uh, Spencer Rattler to South Carolina. Spencer Rattler went to the other USC. I think a thousand people made that joke last night that he didn't go to Lincoln Riley's USC. He went to the other USC. Shane Beamer, I think, was a former assistant head or assistant coach with Oklahoma. I think yep. for his first two years there, obviously flocks back to Beamer. The Beamer era, holy shit, taking a real positive swing right here. Maybe could be competitive in the SEC East with Spencer Rattler, and he brings over the tight end. Strogner yeah, from Oklahoma, Strogner. who obviously that decision had to be heavily impacted by Rattler going to South Carolina. How big of a move is this, right? For a South Carolina team that started a fucking grad assistant at quarterback mm-hmm. at one point this past year, I think this is Coach. a huge move for Beamer. I think this is going to lead to more positives in the transfer portal for South Carolina, more positives in the recruiting trail for South Carolina. This is such a positive for the Beamer era, even if it doesn't lead to an SEC title and they do the unthinkable. I think this does make South Carolina more legitimate than they've been probably for the past 10 years plus. Yeah, I mean, you just look at the SEC East. I mean, you have teams, a lot of teams outside of, obviously, Georgia, who loses a ton, obviously. They will lose damn near that entire defense to the NFL this upcoming offseason. You have Florida reeling. You have Tennessee is Tennessee. Missouri kind of on the come up. Kentucky, kind of a career year, but they're going to lose a lot themselves. They have, I'm not going to say they're going to win the SC East, but they are within fighting chance of, you know, top two finish in that side of the division. So, yeah, I, uh, massive, massive get for South Carolina. I'm excited. I think the, the, the jersey swaps have looked good, the Beamer era, and we talk about, you know, we're going to probably be bringing this up all year or all offseason, all draft season about where we're going for tailgate. When we had Beamer on this podcast, um, he was raving about Columbia, obviously. And I do think that a trip to South Carolina with Rattler could be quite the treat. And looking at some of the some of the games that they have, Texas A&M, October 22nd at home, could be quite the treat there. Um, I, I don't know. We might have to think about going to South Carolina, too. I, I'm, I'm getting a little too ahead of myself, I think, with some of these schedules. So. Um, Tank Bigsby and Bo Nix were reportedly both entering the transfer portal at Auburn. However... Bigsby was re-recruited back to Auburn and made a decision not to enter the transfer portal. I'm sure that had nothing to do with some deal sweeteners here and there, an NIL across the table or two. But Bigsby staying, Bo Nix is out. We talked a little bit about this, about where Bo Nix could go, I think, before we started recording. You think he's going group of five. You don't think he's got a power five option. I I mean, if it is, it's a low-level power five option. He's just not... 
It's not good. I mean, there's yeah, a reason yeah, he's yeah. leaving Auburn after three years as a starter when he was Mr. Auburn. His dad played there like he wanted to be at the Auburn quarterback since the day he was born. Gets to be that. And I think it was kind of a mutual parting of the ways. It wasn't Bo Nix who wanted out. It was Auburn themselves who were like, hey, I think we can do better here. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine Auburn wants Bo Nix back, right? They want an upgrade at that yeah. position. It might be the reason Bigsby's coming back, right? Nix is calling. Yeah, like, okay, we, we, Bigsby, we need you back. We're going to change this offense around. Yeah. Um, Keaton Slovis also entered the transfer portal. I don't want to spend the entire freaking top of the show on transfer portal stuff, but that's another big QB. Also, Zach Calzada, guy who beat yeah. Alabama for Texas A&M, enters the transfer portal. Max Johnson's in the transfer portal. We have a transfer portal rankings article on PFF.com. I think we have over 60 names on that piece. Just look that up and check that out on pff.com and while you're there use promo code tailgate for 25 percent off any pff subscription i did like anthony trash's take though on keaton slovis and where he probably goes ssu no keaton slovis girlfriend goes to pit play soccer there oh pit obviously losing kenny pickett t leaves that's hot could be where he goes i think that's actually worthwhile for yeah that's like know. a good nugget to think about when a guy enters transfer portal like that. Some other big names in the portal, according to PFS ranking, Eli Ricks, cornerback from LSU, Dylan Gabriel, which I think he's being rumored to Ole Miss. I think that's heavy, heavy rumors that Dylan Gabriel, the former UCF quarterback, could be going to Ole Miss. Zach Evans, the running back from TCU, Jameer Gibbs, running back from Georgia Tech. Um, There is Miles Brennan. There is a lot of talent. Michael Pittick Jr. is also entering the transfer portal, too. You could win. I mean, you could win. You could put a 10-win team together from the transfer portal. I mean, this was not talked about enough. Jameson Williams was a finalist for the Blitnikoff Award transfer. Kenneth Walker won the Doc Walker Award. Shit. Try again. Kenneth Walker III for Michigan State transferred from Wake Forest and won the Doak Walker Award and single-handedly beat the Michigan Wolverines in East Lansing. The transfer portal is real. And yep. Bruce Feldman, I think, when you got to listen to the interview, he has one of the best takes on this shit, right? He says, if you are not leveraging it, you are losing. Like, teams, coaches, programs are understanding that the transfer portal is how you can actually be competitive in college football now. I like how you said you have to listen to it, and then you said what he said. Well, I think you have to hear it from the horse's <laughs> mouth, asshole. Rams Cardinals. Also want to talk a little Rams Cardinals. I said I'd be joining Flock Nation slash the Red Sea if the Cardinals proved me right and won this football game. And then money was dumping on the Cardinals. They were minus two and a half. And then you saw Jalen Ramsey out with COVID. People dumped more money on it. They got out to minus three. I think it even got out to minus three and a half. Everyone was on the Cardinals winning this football game in Arizona. And the Rams still win this one. Yeah. Cardinals defense doesn't look good. Kyler Murray's under pressure, under like absolute duress the entire game. Rams show up and look really, really good. Matthew Stafford re-enters the MVP conversation in some of this stuff. The Cardinals did not rise to the occasion. And I will not be joining the Red Sea. As I said, I've been fading the Cardinals for whatever reason. This is why I thought they were going to win this one too, and they lose. Yeah, I'm, I'm pissed I changed my pick because I had the Rams prior and then the Ramsey news spooked me. But what I didn't foresee was David Long turning into Jalen Ramsey in this game. He had a monster performance. Former Michigan Wolverine. Former the third rounder, his first start uh, since early on in the season. Three of nine targets, 28 yards. He was balling out in that game. One of our faves coming out of Michigan. So, yeah, that was a massive win as a Packers shareholder, in my opinion. <laughs> Packers shareholder. Yeah, I mean, now they're the number one seed, right? 10-3 yeah, and three in the NFC, number one seed. Cardinals drop out of the one seed. Rams look legit against a very good Arizona Cardinals team, a team that I expected to win. I think something that's interesting about that, too, Jalen Ramsey's out, and the line moves a half point. 
it comes back. I, I do think that some of the betting line analysis where you think about like positional value and how much individual players legitimately impact yeah. game lines. Ramsey, best cornerback in football, moves this line a half point. And Rams still win this game. Um, it comes back to just how how top heavy positional value is, right? Mm-hmm. Quarterback and then everyone else is really what moves line. So I do think that um, I was kind of shocked by that. I thought it would move it maybe a point, point and a half, two. But Ramsey, not as big of a deal as maybe people think he is. Or not as big of a deal on the betting line as maybe people think would be. Uh, Rams win this one, and I were comfortably cruising in the NFC. Legitimate contenders in the NFC. Shall we get to these mock drafts? Yes. I wrote a mock draft for PFF.com, and Todd McShay is like, oh. AG's writing mock drafts. I'll write a mock draft for ESPN.com. I'm sure that's exactly how the content schedule is planned at ESPN. They run it off, you know, whatever I'm doing. Before we get into these mock drafts, it's a reactionary just, content schedule. They see we put one out, they have to put one exactly, out. Exactly, exactly. And you'll see some mirrored concepts in his mock. I know he read it. Uh, let's get some sponsors also in the mix before we get to these mock drafts here. Working from home is more important now than ever. Optimize your home office with an X share and our many accessories to enhance your focus, productivity, energy, and comfort. Once you feel the customized support of extra's patented dynamic variable lumbar there's no going back there's really no going back it's all in the lmx massage and temperature regulation exclusively designed and made for x chair versatile comfort and extraordinary design x chair fits any space high performance quality engineering extreme comfort those are all the reasons i love my x chair now i can't wait to get to work and sometimes even when i'm not working i'll sneak into the office late night 3 a.m Sneak into that X chair and just get that feeling. X chair tailgate now. Dot, go to X chair tailgate.com now. That's X chair, T A I L G A T E.com or call 1 844 X chair for $100 off your first order. X chair has a 30 day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. X chair tailgate.com. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Other shout out here DraftKings football fans, I'm sure you love action packed, high scoring NFL games. I get it. But with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point is scored. New customers who bet just $1 on any NFL team to score can win $100 in free bets instantly. It's that simple. Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet. You can get in on the NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet $1 on any NFL team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official... Sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. Only new customers. Only minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Strict supplies. See DraftKings.com. So sports for details. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Woo! Mock draft season. Blessed be the mock draft. I want to mock. Aiden Hutchinson goes number one overall. But guess what? I'm not reading this thing. I'm not the host anymore. You I go will through be this mock draft hosting. and you highlight the, the bad analysis, the terrible fits, and the bad drafts. All right, yes. Know. Austin Gales. Mock draft 1.0 is this? This is 1.0. Love 1.0. Uh, love that name and convention. Although, wait, when did ESPN ditch the 1.0? Because I don't see any 1.0 on McShay's. Yeah, they, I think they might have ditched it. I hope they did because I have been railing against that for years. The .0 naming convention only works. It's like when, for like software updates. If you have like a .5, if like you actually make incremental updates, you don't need the decimal point if you're never going to have that, which you never have that in NFL mock drafts. So I might have a 1.1 come out off tonight. my soapbox. I actually did have a 1.1. I, I remember made an adjustment. Remember that? Yeah. Uh, all right, because you guys made me or someone that whoever's the editor at the time made me do it because that was a convention and I hated it. So on to yours, Aiden Hutchinson, number one overall. It's going to happen. It's real. It's spectacular. All right, number two, Jacksonville Jaguars, Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon. 
Houston Texans, Evan Neal from Alabama, pretty chalky. Four Jets, Derek Stingley Jr. from LSU. And five, Kyle Hamilton, Notre Dame to the New York Giants. That's like a pretty consistent top five, I think, around NFL. At least those top four in terms of Thibodeau Hutchinson, then Evan Neal being one of the other top five picks, whether it's to the Texans, whether it's to the Jets, and then Derek Stingley. Those four, I feel like, I don't want to say pen them into the top five, but that's your top. Those guys are going top five. And then it's going to be like Hamilton positional value. Who wants to draft a safety that highly? I don't know if it's going to be the jets. I don't know who's going to be making decisions for the jets, but it very well could be. I have some, so someone mentioned that, you know, Robert solid does not play a ton of man coverage. Derek Stingley's best work is in man coverage. And I do think that is a worthwhile conversation for him going to the jets. Yeah. I still feel that Derek Stingley is scheme versatile. He's not, doesn't need to be pigeonholed as this man coverage for his own coverage type. I think New York sprints the card in with Derek Stingley there at four. And as for the giants at five, I agree with the positional value take, but they have two top 10 picks, right? And I think one of the teams, like the jets or the giants does pull the trigger on Hamilton, knowing that it's not their only pick in the first round, right? They have multiple first round picks, mm-hmm. multiple inside the top 10. Most likely I think that gives you that opportunity to, you know, consider Hamilton when maybe other teams who have to prioritize high positional value, have to prioritize these different things, um, pass on Hamilton to take a tackle, pass rusher, etc. Yeah. I, I mean, would, that also, we didn't bring it up, but Hamilton's awesome, like, right? Hamilton's yeah. a blue chip talent, one of the best safety prospects I think we've seen in a long time. We've had Brian Kelly, LSU faithful on this show, talk about just how rare Hamilton is from a versatility perspective, leadership, all this stuff. Hamilton, we have to get on this podcast, by the way. He has his own podcast. Yeah. Need to get him podcasting on tailgate here pretty soon. All right. Number six, also the New York Giants. You have them drafting Iki Aquanu, the offensive tackle from NC State. Number seven, New York Jets going Charles Cross, the offensive tackle from Mississippi State. Carolina Panthers draft Edge George Karloftis from Purdue. Atlanta Falcons at nine go cornerback Roger McCreary from Auburn. And then Philadelphia Eagles, their first pick of the first round from Miami. Get Jamison Williams, the Alabama wide receiver. Let's go to George Karloftis. You're thinking behind giving the Carolina Panthers another edge rusher when they kind of already have an edge duo. They kind of invested a first rounder very recently on their defensive line. And they have maybe the worst offensive line one of the worst offense lines in football. And now, obviously, in this mock draft, Charles Cross comes off the board before them, but it seems a little... Uh, yeah, I think I got the most flack luxury for picky. this pick. I got the most flack for this pick, right? I think Iki Aquanu and Charles Cross going ahead of the Carolina Panthers at 6-7 and seven would put them in a really difficult position. I think there's a good chance that those guys are available. One of those guys is available to Carolina, and then they get after improving the offensive line, either adding a Quanu or Cross. I also think that this tackle class is good enough to where they consider, could, could consider Trevor Penning here, right? I think they could consider some other offensive linemen that maybe you wouldn't originally consider top 10 players, but because of their positional needs and different things that they avoid edge and go grab an offensive tackle. I think a lot of Carolina Panthers fans also brought the point, like, why not go QB? PFF's always like, QB, QB, QB. They passed yeah. on a QB last year. What's going on? This quarterback class isn't as good as last year. Justin Justin Fields isn't on the clock at eight again, right? Like there isn't an obvious QB that will be available to them at eight where it's a sprint the card in situation. So I had them attacking positional value. I did not have them going after a low valued position edge and off the tackle was in consideration with the three top offensive tackles already off the board. I went edge. Now in hindsight, I didn't want to do trades in a mock draft this early, Mm -hmm. but I think the Panthers are a little bit of a prime trade-down spot because if they do trade down, 
could still be in the QB market without spending a top 10 pick on one or look at other positions or even like a Trevor Penning, like I said, um, some of the other offensive linemen that could go in the first round. Tyler Linderbaum's an option. Uh, Kenyon Green from Texas A&M is an option. They are going to be one of the harder teams for me to mock draft for because they have so many needs and so much uncertainty at QB. But Carl Loftus, you know, probably going to be a top 10 player, top 15 player, gave them them for this one. Okay, now back to the list. Number 11 here, Philadelphia Eagles, quarterback Matt Corral from Ole Miss. Minnesota Vikings get cornerback Kyer Elam from Florida. New Orleans Saints go cornerback Trent McDuffie from Washington. Las Vegas Raiders grab a wide receiver in Garrett Wilson from Ohio State. And then Pittsburgh Steelers going Kenny Pickett, quarterback from Pittsburgh. A couple here. I want to focus on the quarterbacks at this point because this is when you've had the first ones coming off the board. You have Corral going over Pickett. And you have Corral going to the Eagles. And you also have Corral getting drafted after a wide receiver, even though the Eagles have back-to-back picks. Wouldn't you think that the Eagles would go quarterback first in that scenario? Just to kind of be like, hey, you're our guy. We wanted you. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't read too much into that. I think you got uh, this is a mock draft. That's also. fair. You that's fair. Think about I mean, I think things. if they have back-to-back picks, I don't think they'll think too much about who's 10 and who's 11. But maybe because it is QB, right? I think the 11th, the 10th pick gets put, paid more than the 11th pick, giving you Corral would. that option. I think you would take QB earlier. Or maybe QB later. Later. You would for later for the fifth-year Pick, it's kind whatever. of brutal for Matt Corral, but I, I got you know you talk about picks that I got a lot of heat for. Philadelphia doesn't want a QB. Philadelphia wants to use every single pick, all three that they have in the first round, on building around Jalen Hurts. My rationale: I even put caps lock in the analysis. Do not overreact, Eagles fans. Jalen Hurts has been solid this year. This does not mean Philly is giving up on Hurts. Jalen Hurts ranks 11th in PFF grade this year. Mm-hmm. He has been solid, but when you have the luxury of three first round picks, two that could be in the top 10. You're in this unique position where you can pursue Hertz, build around Hertz with two first round picks yeah. and money in free agency and still have a high priority plan B if this thing doesn't work out. And in part of the analysis and stuff that I've, I've been on this soapbox before. If Carson Wentz can get a first round pick on the open market, Sam Darnold can get a second. Whether it's Corral in this situation or Hertz, the odd man out of this quarterback competition is drawing high return. Hertz could garner a first-round pick, maybe second-round pick. Corral in this situation, I think if he does flash in the preseason, down the road could be a second-round pick. This, picking a quarterback, if you're the Eagles here, with three first-round picks, two inside the top ten, is not giving up on Hertz. It's putting your team in the best position to find the most important, you know, the best player at the most important it's position. It's giving up on Gardner Minshew. So it's giving, it's giving up, up on Gardner Minshew. That's for damn sure. It's giving up on Gardner Minshew. But that has happened for a while now. I think Corral... You know, QB1 on PFS draft board right now, there'll be a lot of conversation about who's QB1. Do you go Pickett? Do you go Howell? Do you go Willis? Whatever. Take the quarterback you like the most yeah. with one of these top first-round picks and then build around Hurts after. We, I'm going to sneak a little bit further here, but Eagles grab Jamison Williams at 10. And then further down the list, I continue having them pouring into the uh, – or no, not pouring into the offense. I have them grabbing to Marvin Leal. We'll, get, we'll wait to get there. But still, Jamison Williams, people are like, that's just Rager 2.0. Yeah. They need to find out and add more to this offense. So I hope that I hope Eagles fans don't hate me too much. One thing – so just to, the DeMarvin Leal pick one more time at 21 to the Eagles. It would floor me. With this defensive line class, I think there is approximately a 0% chance Howie Roseman leaves the first round without a defensive lineman. Fair. Just like he is going to draft one, that is what he does. He loves offensive lineman, defensive lineman. And, and offensively, they are in a fairly good spot at tackle, which is where you would draft in the first round. So 
defensively, I think with Brandon Graham at his age, with Fletch Cox at his age, you are going to be seeing them draft a defensive lineman. And Leal, for as much as he was kind of, you know, disappointing for our high expectations this year, is still a freak athlete at 6'5", 290. So that would make a ton of He's sense. also going to join the podcast next week. Demond and Leal will be soon friend of the pod. I also have a little bit of a run on cornerbacks here, right? Roger McCurry to the Falcons at 9, yeah. and Kyrie Elam to Minnesota, Trent McDuffie to New Orleans. I do think that it's going to be a cornerback-rich first round I think there's a ton of talent at that position and it's one of those premium positions right it comes in at four or five on the positional value chart for PFF yes all right now on to back to the the picture number 16 Denver Broncos draft Devin Lloyd I love that fit they're obviously the linebackers have been decimated this year and he's kind of uh you know Fangio's defense now obviously whether Fangio stays or not but like they draft three down larger more traditional style of linebackers they don't yeah they don't they are not – it's not a defense that covets the will 215-pounder, the Nicobe Dean, shall we say, who comes off the board next to the Cincinnati Bengals. At number 17, at number 18, you have the Cleveland Browns going edge Trayvon Walker from Georgia, a little bit of a project edge there to learn from Miles Garrett. And at 19, football team going Sam Howell, quarterback. And at 20, you have David Ajabo, the Michigan edge defender, going to the Buffalo Bills – David Ajabo, their third straight edge defender in the first, second round to the Buffalo Bills. They're just addicted to that. I think defenders. in my mock drafts, you're going to consistently see that. I mean, because I think a lot of fans go and they're like, we already have this position. We've already drafted this position. We don't need this position. The last thing I look at with this shit is need. I want value. Ajabo, if he falls to 20, will be a fucking value. He's a top 10 mock player right now, top 12 mock player. I think he could fall because he, you know, talk about Trayvon Walker at Georgia. He is a project player. I still think Ajabo is such, the guy doesn't even know why, you know, I'm not trying to be a dick, but like he just learned why quarterbacks spike the ball and stop the clock, right? Like this guy is learning the game. If he falls to 20, another project player, I think continuing to develop at that position, edge will never, you know, we talk about cornerback. No team has enough cornerbacks. No team has enough edge defenders. You know, continuing to develop at that position and add premium athleticism at that position that can turn into productive players down the road, I think is positive. I don't think I don't care if you've drafted an edge rusher in the last three or four drafts in the first round. Continuing to add at that position until you're to make sure your pass rush is still always good, I think is a huge positive. I'm I'm not super upset at that pick. I didn't receive a ton of flack for it either, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sam Howell of the Washington Football Team, we've said it probably a thousand times. Wherever they're picking. They need to hone in on their favorite QB and take them. Yeah. Well, you said it more because you hate Taylor Heineke. I've said it a little bit. <laughs> obsessed with that guy. All right. Uh, back to the picks. 21, we always said to Marvin Leal to the Philadelphia Eagles. Miami Dolphins at 22. They got it via the San Francisco 49ers, who they're slowly re- not regretting that as much, but still regretting that they gave away their own instead of San Francisco's in last year's trade. They go Tyler Linderbaum, the Iowa center, dropping all the way to 22, the best center we've ever seen. All the way. This was a positional value thing, right? Like, I love Linderbaum, and he is going to finish the highest-graded interior offensive lineman this year. He's going to be the highest-ranked interior offensive lineman. He won the Remington for best center in college football. But 
center him, is yeah. one of the lowest valued positions in the NFL. It's paid at the lowest rate. I don't know if a team and I had some Eagles fans wanting Linder. Here's the thing: I had some Eagles fans wanting Linderbaum over Corral. And it's like I don't, I don't care how good Linderbaum is at the the quarterback position. You need to be prioritizing the quarterback position, right? And if a, a talent like Corral or Pickett or Howell or even Willis is available, and you have an opportunity to compete at the quarterback position, I just don't see how you do prioritize Linderbaum over some of these other guys. Just knowing mm-hmm. that position of value is going to bite, bite you in the ass. But keep going on this list. All right, number 23, Los Angeles Chargers going Andrew Booth, the cornerback from Clemson. will be interesting to see if that is kind of strategically how they build their team there, cornerback heavy as mm-hmm. opposed to they're kind of like, nah, that's kind of like the, back. the Ravens, yeah, as opposed to like defensive line heavy. Uh, 24, Detroit Lions going quarterback Malik Willis. This is where they get their quarterback. Number 25, Baltimore Ravens go Kenyon Green, the interior offensive lineman from Texas A&M. And number 26, Dallas Cowboys go hometown, Ahmad Gardner, a cornerback from Cincinnati. I really like that one, that fit to the Dallas Cowboys. I think if they had more of a, I don't want to say shutdown corner, but like you get a playmaker in Trayvon Diggs and a guy who's a more consistent cover corner in Ahmad Gardner, who also very much fits that defense, I think that would be kind of the missing piece for what the Cowboys are looking for defensively. They have a lot of the other pieces. Obviously, probably could use some defensive tackles to take steps forward, too, but that would go a long way for them. I think that's a, a really good value pick for Dallas for Ahmad Garner, too. I think Ahmad Garner, we've talked a little bit on this show about his flaws, can get overly physical, doesn't have a ton of reps getting targeted yeah. in Cincinnati. They were more often targeting Kobe Bryant, the Jim Thorpe Award winner, if you didn't know. I think Gardner in the 20s is where you start to real, really feel really excited about developing him at the next level. Some of these other picks here, too, um, that I wanted to discuss. Malik Willis, I think the dream situation for Detroit is to, in, at number one overall, or if say they're picking two or three, not go quarterback, take one of these talented edge rushers, get a Thibodeau or a Hutchinson, or even one of these blue-chip defensive backs, Stingley uh, Hamilton, and then at the back end when they do have this pick from the Rams – Look at the quarterback class. If you like one of the guys left, say a Ritter is available, a Howell is available, or a Willis is available, bring him in to compete, right? But my take is when you are taking a quarterback outside the top 20, outside the top 25, you are not essentially hitching your wagon to him like the Giants kind of did with Daniel Jones and other other teams do when you draft guys inside the top five, top 10. You can have Malik Willis compete there, and if he does not pan out or he's not – Performing well, you can go full Arizona Cardinals with it, ditch him, and if you got another opportunity to top guy in 2023, a Bryce Young, a CJ Stroud, etc., continue to throw darts at that position until you get the guy. Yeah, I think this is a good year to like, draft like a redshirt type quarterback where it's like you know, I mean, you're still going to have Jer- a Jordan Love type. Yeah, you know that. Well, not not necessarily Jordan Love. We're a little bit higher than these guys than we're Jordan Love coming out. Fair but enough. I was saying like if you know you have you know Jerry Goff's going to be there. You know that Malik Willis probably not going to beat him out on a throw-for-throw basis right out the gate, and that's just not going to happen. There's no problem with letting him redshirt, letting him get adept to the speed of the game, difference from Liberty to the NFL, and then seeing where that could go into 2022. I guess that would be 2023. What year are we in? No one's getting tough now, but I think it's a good year to do something like that in the back end of this first round because again, it's not also. Not deep quarterback and also not that deep in like really blue chip talent in this draft. We're getting to the late 20s and it's kind of getting sparse. So I, I do think after the top four guys, 
as the top four, you know, yeah. consent, you know, remember you've talked about the chalk, right? Hutchinson, yeah. Thibodeau, Neal, and Stingley, and then maybe throw Hamilton there as well. I do think Don't it starts. Maybe throw Hamilton in there. Uh, well, positional value, blue chip, regardless of positional value, right? Okay. Positional value, I do think could keep him out of the top five, right? I think he could be a ninth, yeah. okay. ninth pick or whatever. So, top four, fringe top five is chalky, blue chip, take him. After that, it's kind of what your flavor is. I wouldn't be surprised if some teams have a Quanu over Cross. I wouldn't be surprised if some teams don't really like Karloftis and push other edge defenders forward and all that stuff. I do think that there there becomes immediate a tier two, a tier three in this class to where the difference between pick nine and pick 16 is not as vast as, obviously, the first four, four or five picks that we have in this year's draft. All right, back to the box. 27, Kansas State Chiefs going Drake London, wide receiver from USC. Almost a... He almost has like a Travis Kelsey-esque skill set in probably not the block. That could be a tight end, but like kind of bridges that gap. Traylon Burks at 28 to the Green Bay Packers. Thank you for that. A better version of Alan Lazard. Yes, please. Uh, Tennessee Titans going Edge Kingsley Inegbury from South Carolina. Tampa Bay Bucks. They, obviously, they have Harold Landry becoming a free agent this upcoming offseason. May not resign him. Could be a need there. Tampa Bay Bucks going Martin Emerson, the Mississippi State cornerback, loading up on corners. Carlton Davis about to hit free agency. Got to keep the strength of strength. Number 31, New England Patriots go wide receiver Chris Olave. Kind of a kind of redundant to Nelson Aguilar now. Redundant wise? to Nelson I'm, Okay, Aguilar? I guess that's not like, like role-wise. That would be the same. Role-wise, sure, but Nelson Aguilar isn't good. <laughs> I just feel like he's not a great fit for that offense. I don't know. Chris Olave. I want them tacking receiver, and I think I flip-flopped London and Olave. Yeah, like London would spot. be sick in that offense. But I think London goes high. I don't think yeah, London yeah, makes it to one. But I'm trying to think. I feel like even like Jahan Dotson I'd rather have in that offense than Chris Olave. Wow, wow. Just Fair enough. based off of what they do. All right, last one, last but certainly not least, Arizona Cardinals, who they're not going to be 32, let's be honest. <laughs> not after this weekend. No, I'm kidding. But uh, very well could be 32, but they are going Bernard Raymond, the Central Michigan offensive tackle. And I didn't realize their right tackle was declaring, too. I really liked him. I had him put into the 20th. I had a list of the guys I liked in 2023. Uh, what's his first? His first, last name's Gadecki. I can't remember his first name off the top of my head. But they're they both going right to senior bowl, right? Well, yeah, it was damn good, too. I didn't think he was going to declare, though. So... Bernard Raymond, left tackle, going to the Arizona Cardinals. Have DJ Humphrey, but he'll Humphreys, he'll probably go with the right side if they do draft Raymond. I was I think we've skipped a little bit over some of the receiver discussion, and because so many go in the back half here, I'm gonna rediscuss. Jameson Williams to Philly, trying to add some speed there. He comes off the board as wide receiver one. Raiders grab Garrett Wilson. They desperately need a separator in that yeah. offense. I think if Wilson's available to them at fourteen, they swing the bat. And then towards the back end here where a lot of these guys have come off the board, and I've said this kind of the entire pre draft process so far and that I think these receivers could slip a little bit and you could see them end up in the 20s Drake London to Kansas City which I think would be fucking unreal for that Chiefs offense I think that's the type of receiver that could complement the Hardman the Kel- um, the Hill in Chiefs offense and then Green Bay get Traylon Burks I know you'd lick your chops there I think I've already seen rampant the AJ Brown comps he's a true six foot three, two twenty five. the yak ability the size is there and then obviously you just touched on it Chris Olave going to New England I think they hone in on receiver. Olave at 31 is just such a good value, even if he's redundant in that offense. But overall, I was happy with this mock. I think what was interesting, some of the bigger takeaways that I had. You just gave yourself a little Sean Tucker there. Overall, I was pleased. I'm very pleased with this mock. I think some of the takeaways that I had is, man, after the first four or five guys, it does get to a little bit of a hodgepodge. I think Cross could enter that tier. He's one of those guys that's highly regarded um, in the offensive tackle class. But the positions to, to chase, tackle, edge, corner. 
Tackle edge and corner is where you want to end up in this class. I know people are calling this mm-hmm. class. I saw someone tweet out, say, the receiver class is fun, fucking no shit. But, like, where there's actually legitimately value at premium positions, I do really like edge, tackle, and corner, and I think teams will chase that. Yes, sir. Let's get to, let's get to our boy Todd's. Todd's? Can, can we can we can we shout out the sponsors before we get to Todd? Yes, please. I, I know you're in this. Ho- can I take over host role again? By all means. Um, want a chance to win the ultimate game day feast? Whether it's football success or financial savvy, winning starts with us asking us questions. Would you like to know? What it's like behind the scenes with Allen Sunday Night Football. How about a need to know for your financial future? Western Southern is teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Every submission earns you a chance to win the ultimate feast to celebrate football. Football's favorite Sunday will cover your catering up to 2500 Coordinate your order from a restaurant near you and have it delivered on February 13th, 2022. And don't forget to check out the Chris Collins with podcast and Western Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash askchris. One more time, that is westernsouthern.com slash askchris. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western Southern, you can rest assured on game day. Todd McShay's mock. The painting was a gift. Todd, something I want to talk about on this show too, Mike, when you get a chance, um, is the Super Bowl and what we're going to do for the Super Bowl. Because I want we, – we, we, I don't know what we did last year. Did we hang out last year? We might not have. I don't even know. What was I doing Super Bowl? I remember two year? years ago you – <laughs> we hung out, but you weren't there like physically. <laughs> uh, it, was it was a good time. Um, the I don't know if we hung out last for last year? year's Super Bowl. I don't know what you. Oh no, I remember hanging out with George and Eric. But this year, I kind of want to do something together if, if possible. Did I do? If you're free, let's go to the Super Bowl. All right, let's, let's go. go let's just go to the Super Bowl. Yeah. I like that. All right, Tom McShay's latest mock. I'm taking over host duties. I know Renner botched it. <laughs> Painting was a gift. Friend of the show, Todd McShay. Lions, Aiden Hutchinson, which has become chalky really since. I was driving back from Ann Arbor, and I actually had, because I wasn't using my phone, I had David Sofaro, who's riding the passenger seat with me, tweet out, there needs to be more conversation about Aiden Hutchinson going number one overall. Since that tweet, I know it's moved a lot in that direction. You're the one that... Jim Harbaugh saw that, and that's why he said exactly, he be exactly. No, no. Honestly, I agree. Uh, Texans take Kayvon Thibodeau, Jaguars Evan Neal, Jets Derek Stingley. If you didn't realize, I had the same top four. I think a lot of people have that same same top four, even regardless of team, right? Like if it yeah. ends up being Jags one, Lions two, whatever. I think those first four names will be heard early and probably all in the top five. At five, he I has George Karloftis to the Giants. It's interesting. Is one. George Karloftis? Am I too low on George Karloftis? I like George Karloftis. We had Jeff Brown, the head coach of Purdue, on this podcast raving about George Karloftis. He's up there on Bruce Feldman's freaks list. Like okay. He is an athlete. He is big. He has the size. I know um, the, the person who does the rankings for Bleacher Report has George Karloftis relatively high. There are people who really like him. Is he a top five freaking player? Are we cra- or is that crazy? I don't think it's crazy. I, I think he is, like you said, he was seventh on Bruce Feldman's freaks list. He is 275 pounds. He's a unique specimen at the position that he's very versatile. I honestly think he was better inside than he even is outside as a pass rusher. So for a team like New York Giants, who definitely qualifies as a need, you know, anyone can get after the passer. Um, I don't think it's too high. There. I, I want to see how he tests because he's obviously high in the freaks list. He is an interesting – he's a bigger guy though, right? Like yeah, he's 275. 275. This guy is 
unique to what people have been drafting at edge in the past, right? More people are looking at these 250 to 260 types. 275 is a different frame altogether. I think Carl Loftus will be one of the more... would be the last top five edge that was in that kind of size mold. I'm just very curious. I'll I'll look it up. Steve Alzola, who is the product manager for PFF Ultimate, recently added a filter to where you can look at and sort by weight at a position. So maybe you you dive into that filter. Shout out PFF underscore Steve. Uh, Moving forward in this mock draft. One more note on Karloftis. I think Nick Bosa is probably – that's probably about – Nick Bosa is 265? He was probably 265. Joey Bosa is probably about that height, about that weight. Wow. I mean, if he tests like Joey Bosa did. Joey Bosa, 276. There you go. Joey Bosa. Joey Bosa tests like, if Carl Loftus tests like Bosa, this might as well be a wrap. Carl Loftus will probably be in the conversation for top three, top four. I will say the difference between him and like a Solomon Thomas, who we also said was a freak athlete and also said was better on the interior, was Thomas is like 270 and like a tapped out ish 270 mm-hmm. and only played on the interior at Stanford was never playing off the edge. And so we've seen Karloftis be versatile already at Purdue and play a number of different positions to play it well. Whereas shit, when they drafted Solomon Thomas and he lined up at a nine technique, that was the first time he's ever done that in his life for the 49ers. So. Mm-hmm. I want to look at one second. I had a couple notes here. Joey, Joey Bosa went to the combine six foot five, two sixty nine, So six, five, two seventy. 40 yard dash was nothing overwhelmingly impressive. No Sub was, seven three cone though. No, yeah, that, that that's what I was getting. Thanks for uh, teasing that. Uh, Ten yard split was thirty first percentile. Forty yard dash was a four eight six forty third percentile for the position. But six eight nine three cone four two one short shuttle both ninetieth percentile. That's that's where Carl Loftus makes his his bread and butter here. And looking at uh, Bruce Feldman's freaks list, some of the numbers that he threw around ten one broad thirty seven inch vert four six nine forty. Some of that explosiveness that a lot of people look for three eighty power clean, which is a lot of explosiveness five oh five front squat. It's the it's the short area stuff though, right? It's the three yeah. cone and the short shuttle where you'll be getting those Joey Bosa light comps for Carl Loftus. It'll be a fun conversation. I hate to say fun. He'll be an interesting conversation in the pre-draft process. I'm excited for people to talk about him more. At six, Panthers grab Charles Cross, who everyone's calling smooth-moving, athletic offensive tackle out of Mississippi State. Giants grab N'Kobe Dean, which I think that's the highest I've seen N'Kobe Dean go. I don't like that pick for the Giants, to be honest. I don't like linebacker in the top ten for the Giants. They need premium players at premium positions. We've talked about their cap situation in 2022. It's a disaster. They need to go get some expensive players on rookie contracts that are talented, not, in my opinion, linebackers. Falcons take Jamison Williams at eight, wide receiver one. Hamilton, Kyle Hamilton, safety from Notre Dame, falls to the Jets at nine. So they end up grabbing Stingley and Hamilton to retool that secondary. And then the Eagles at ten. I had him at 20. McShay has him at 10. David Ajabo, the project edge, who's been playing football for like four years, going to the Eagles in the top 10. Your reactions to those picks? My reactions is, first ones, the Jets would be taking their pants after this. You get, be you sick. get Derek Stingley and Kyle Hamilton in one draft. I mean, you, as a defense coordinator, Robert Salah is like kidding candy store with those mm-hmm. two. That would be insane. That would be a overnight transformation to that defense. Um, and then also Jamison Williams, wide receiver one, eight overall. I could see it. And also that offense would be sick with Jamison Williams, Calvin Ridley, and Kyle Pitts. That is an athletic – it's a it's a basketball team on uh, on uh, on the turf there uh, down in Atlanta. That would be, that'd be a hashtag fun to watch unit. 
Hashtag fun to watch. And I think you love, you know, how many people would, I mean, that would be all the analysis is after those picks. They double dip in the defensive secondary. Sala wants to build something special on the back end. But what they're also getting too is what we, you know, two of the blue chip players in this class at five, or at four and nine, hoping that, praying that, crossing their fingers that. Zach Wilson improves, right? You, yeah, need, yeah. you need Zach Wilson. None of it matters if Zach Wilson doesn't some take some steps forward here. They, they're still going to have cap space, though, is mm-hmm. the thing. And, and they, as much as, you know, maybe don't go out and spend it all on, like, a wide receiver, but I think they could improve that offensive line to a degree where it's not like, hey, we have to get one of these offensive linemen in the draft. And honestly, uh, what's his face? George Fant's actually been playing all right this year um, in, in replacement for Guy Beckton who's been out all year. Number 11, Raiders grabbed Marvin Leal, future friend of the show, Texas A&M defensive lineman, Steelers, Kenny Pickett. I think that's going to be – I mocked him to the Steelers. Everyone's going to be mocking yeah. Kenny Pickett, yeah. former Pittsburgh Panther, Pittsburgh lifer to the Pittsburgh Steelers, regardless of where they're drafting. Washington grabs Matt Corral, quarterback at Ole Miss. 14, Devin Lloyd, Utah linebacker, goes to the Philadelphia Eagles. And then at 15, Ahmad Sauce Gardner goes to the Vikings. That's the highest – Ahmad Garner has been mocked, I think, by any mock so far this year, going to be in the college football playoff. I know you have a theory on that. Yes, I do. But one after we'll get to that in a little bit here. Okay, okay. But the save, more save. interesting one for me is the Eagles drafting a linebacker that high. Every Eagles fan immediately is now just screaming into at their screen because the Eagles do not do that. The last time they drafted a linebacker anywhere near there, Michael Kendricks back in 2012 was 46th overall. Haven't taken one in the first two rounds since. It's been a while. They do not draft linebackers high. They do not cover that position. I, even with as much draft capital as they have, it would still floor me if they did take a linebacker that highly. Man, I also don't think as bad as their linebackers have been, right? I think they've been a laughingstock for a little bit now. I don't think even Eagles fans, like you said, want to see them kind of spend that pick on a, on a low value position and every time you say laughing stock or every time i hear laughing stock i think of that stupid texas a&m video with uh <laughs> oh the have we played that on this podcast we before? haven't but now it, that quinn's been in his bag lately we got to bring that up maybe we'll do that on a fun segment in the future whatever that what's the texas a&m the 12th man thing they do where they like lead the scream or what they yell at midnight or whatever and he makes that terrible joke and he says laughing stock really I think weird. it's hard for you to describe. It's very hard to describe. If you've seen the video, you know what I'm talking about. But the, the, every time I hear laughing stock, I hear it in that guy's voice now. 16 Bengals grab center Tyler Linderbaum. Bengals grabbing a center in the first round to freaking rip to a little That's bit of scar. A little scar there. Bengals grab Tyler Linderbaum. Broncos Malik Willis, the quarterback out of Liberty at 17. Browns at 18 grab wide receiver Drake London, the USC wideout. 19 Saints grab Desmond Ritter. Quarterback, Cincinnati at 19, ahead of Sam Howell. And then at 20, Eagles grab Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson going after London and Williams, I think could become more common as more people evaluate this wide receiver class. But man, it's it's, it's absurd that Wilson yeah. is not, is, is it the size? I wrote a little bit about how he could come in you know, really at six foot, probably a little bit lighter on the 180, 185 side. Is that the biggest reason driving this? I just don't understand. I know he's not even as, you know, the long speed might even be a concern as well. Why do you think some people maybe are fading Wilson and then maybe discuss some of these other picks as well? I don't know. Uh, I mean, James, it's obvious like James and Williams, Drake London have obvious high end traits. James and Williams got to run four threes, low four threes, probably. Drake London, 
It's fucking enormous. You know, like he could, he has like a, a 540 dunk on his tape from high school. Like the guy, the guy is a freak. Garrett Wilson, I'm not sure he has like, like I said, I think he's going to test kind of like C. Lamb tested, where mm-hmm. it's like, I'm not sure there's a freaky trait besides, um, him getting open, you know, like besides you watching him run routes, that's his freaky trait. So, uh, yeah, I, I could see him not being the first wide receiver off the board, but I think he has one of the highest floors in their receiving class. But my theory about why Ahmad Gardner here is 15, why Desmond Ritter is 19, about the highest I've seen either in mock drafts, why James Williams at eight, Evan Neal at three, all these guys who will be playing in the college football playoff super high is because they're going to reference it during the game. To pump them up during the game, they're going to be like, hey, this guy, Mod Gardner, look at how good Cincinnati is. He's 15th in Tom Shea's mock draft. Desmond Ritter, the quarterback, always 19th in Tom Shea's mock draft. Really trying to like It'll be a discussion point. that this is you know, a big matchup between two Goliaths is why I think mm-hmm. they ended up doing it. What's that expression you use? This isn't your mom's? Alabama team, they're going to be like, this isn't your mom's Cincinnati team. Yeah, this is, your mother, it's not your mother's. This Cincinnati. is not your mother's Cincinnati team. I think the Bengals don't go Linderbaum either. Linderbaum, I like Linderbaum, but I think they have bigger needs outside of center, right? I don't think that's been the death knell for them. I mean, I would rather see them go guard, maybe go Kenyon Green here, a guy that could play on either of those guard spots, or attack defense. I mean, it's going to be, like, tackle is going to be their need, because yeah. it's rather be on the one-year deal. But, yeah. Anyway, let's get out of this. Range here. 21, Dolphins grab Icky Aquanu, the NC State off the tackle. Some people, I think, are projecting him as a guard at the next level, but I think he's earned an offensive tackle spot, at least initially. Ravens, Trevor Penning, the offensive tackle out of Northern Iowa. Bills grab Roger McCreary, the Auburn cornerback, one of the most productive cornerbacks we've seen really in the PFF college era this past season. Chargers grab Jordan Davis at 24. The defensive tackle from Georgia, also the Bednarik and Buttkiss winner, winner or whatever. He won like 50 awards. Lions. Oh, we never got to talk about how absurd that was that he won. It was Bednarik, That he won the best defensive player in the country. And, and the On outlet. the backs of his run defense, when he plays fewer than run, 10 run defense snaps a game. 9.8. He played fewer than 10 snaps in run defense a game. And that's like all he did. He literally was... The game plan for Tennessee late in the season, who scores them points, and then the game plan for Alabama late in the season was to, once Jordan Davis got out there at the beginning of drives, go tempo, not sub out, and keep him on the field so that you couldn't, so that he had to rush the passer. Mm -hmm. And was literally, I don't want to say a liability, but he could not himself. He does not get pressure on opposing quarterbacks. They knew that. And so they kept him out there instead of trying, instead of them being able to get in sub packages where Jalen Carter, Javante Wyatt, can put a little bit more pressure on quarterbacks. They kept Jalen Jordan Davis out there, and he did zilch. His he eight pressures all season. And he won best defensive player in college football this year. Utterly absurd. He played 306 snaps, averaged 9.8 run defense snaps per game. That's ranked third on his team at defensive tackle. And I think that game plan wasn't talked about enough. Because yeah. not only are you keeping Jordan Davis on there in tempo and throwing the football and limiting him from a pressures perspective, but you're also tiring a guy was, out that yeah. obviously is a rotational player. Like, obviously doesn't play 400, 500, 600 snaps a season because yeah. he doesn't handle that workload well because he's a fucking he's a monster. But Jordan Davis goes 24 to Chargers. Lions grabs Sam Howell at 25. I think everyone with that pick, including myself, is going to be throwing a quarterback their way at yeah. the back end. People were furious at me that I didn't have Jordan Davis in my first round. And, but I, I'm not – I was – you know, that was a situation where I'm the GM of all 32 teams. I couldn't find it where it made sense. I couldn't find it where I wanted to spend – 
a back you know, end of the first, first round. He's a first round lock, right? I know he's a first round lock, which is fine. I know a team. I think the team probably drafts him inside the top twelve. Yeah. You know, I I could see him going that high, but I, if I'm GM of all 32 teams, I don't know if I swing that bat. I just think there were more valuable players, literally more valuable players, players that will play double, two point five, three x the snaps and, at, at better positions. So I, I, I chase that. Hey, chase away. Let's get back to the picks. Not a lot here. Interesting of note in the back end. Yeah, I agree. 26. Andrew Booth Jr. Clemson corner goes to Tennessee. Dallas grabs Trayvon Walker, the Georgia defensive lineman. Chris Olave Packers. Wider. Take it. Chris Olave, the Ohio State receiver to the Green Bay Packers. Everyone's mocking a receiver to the Packers until they take one. Chiefs, Jahan Dotson, Penn State wide receiver in that offense. I like that. I think there will be another team that gets mocked a receiver pretty consistently. Cardinals grab Kyer Elam, Florida cornerback. Patriots, Traylon Burks at 31 would be hot in that offense. And then the Bucks grab San Diego State legend, leader in all of college football in total pressures, ahead of Aiden Hutchinson. Cameron Thomas from I like San Diego Cameron State. I, like love to see. I do like that fit, too. That uh, he's – someone called him the Mountain West, Aiden Hutchinson, and I think that's a good description of him. I agree. I agree with – again, remember I talked about this receiver run, right? Like Olave, Dotson, and Burks all in like the last Yeah, six all days. towards the back. The I think that's what's going to happen. I, I, I do think that – as much as people are going to call this receiving class fun and sick and, and talented, I think ultimately maybe a couple, you know, a Jameson Williams, a London, a Wilson go inside the top 20, which Wilson falls all the way to 20. And then at the back end, you see this run on your pick your favorite flavor, Olave, Dotson, Burks, etc. I think that's where the run really is. You love to see it. Agreed. You love to see it. Any other major takeaways from the McShay mock? No. Great to see Todd back in the mock game. I love to see Todd. Todd mocks. Keep the lights on here at PFF. Watch Wednesdays to close out the show. Bus watch. Kick us off. Ooh, this one, hate to see. And now, he didn't have... He, the, he was not... Okay, so it's Tremaine, Ed, Tremaine Edmonds, the linebacker for the Buffalo Bills. He was not solely responsible, I'll say, for that game-ending touchdown. But that touchdown, a number of other plays in that game... Are just so indicative of who he is. He's 6'5, 250, runs a 454, a freak of nature, shuts down windows by his sheer presence and length. But the man acts surprised every time a crossing route gets into his zone. Like, he, like, he, just never, he just does not anticipate. He has a 35.6 coverage grade this year, a 37.5 coverage grade last year. Career high came as a rookie when he had a 55.4. And he's, he's been in Sean McDermott's defense. Like, this is not a defense that's really changed its stripes. He's not being asked to do too much different. Like, he should be getting better. It's not. He's been the same guy he was since he was 20 years old and he was drafted. Uh, obviously still young, still not even 24 years old, so there's still some hope, but I think it's fairly safe to say that he has not lived up to expectations, allowed 85% of his targets to be completed, not a single pass breakup all season long this year. Do you mind if um, we have a little bit of a conversation about PFF grading? Yeah. Linebacker specifically. I think a lot of fans, and even sometimes myself included, find myself 
find myself or themselves asking, how the hell do you grade well in coverage at linebacker? There are so many young, fast, like athletic linebackers that when you look at how they've graded so far in the NFL, they've been horrendous, right? Eric Kendricks is the highest graded yeah. coverage linebacker, then Levante David, then Devondre Campbell, Freddie, Fred Warner, Bobby Wagner, kind of the usual suspects with Devondre Campbell on a breakout year. You look at the lowest graded linebackers, it's Tremaine Edmonds, Patrick Queen, Jordan Brooks, Devin White, these guys all have sub-50.0 grades, guys that are athletic, guys that have speed, all this stuff, still not grading really well. Yeah. What, tra- what from a traits perspective and then also like what from a non-traits perspective do you feel is necessary to get into this range of actually grading well at off-ball linebacker in coverage? Uh, well, one, it's a, lot, a lot of it's finishing plays. So now missing a lot of tackles in coverage will obviously torpedo you. your coverage grade because – Linebackers, a lot of the targets you're getting, so I said 85% completion percentage. Obviously, that's like far higher than you're going to get at quarter, cornerback. But it's because a lot of those you're not expected to. Like when you are dropping eight yards deep in a zone and they throw a, you know, just a swing to the running back and that's your responsibility, you're never going to break that up. So, I get, so completion percentage is not a great value, a great barometer for linebacker play. But then how much yak do you allow from there? Mm-hmm. Are, and, and the reason why Edmonds' coverage grade so low is what I noted there, like crossing routes, guys coming into his zone, he's just oblivious to far more often than not. And so he will allow a lot of yak, a lot of yards after the catch and just have busted coverages by guys running free uh, over the middle of the field, as we saw, again, against the Patri- excuse me, Patriots, almost said, the Bucks this past weekend. So I think that is how you don't grade well. Pass breakups, interceptions are, are going to be a lot of flukes at that position. So, like I said, it is limiting yards after the catch, basically, on those underneath targets, or not even getting, or not, and not allowing those targets, basically, in your zone behind you, that sort of thing, getting underneath those and not even allowing them in the first place. That's so awareness yeah. is massive at that. Point. I, I think you hit the nail on the head because how I would have probably communicated some of it is limiting yards after the catch, mm-hmm. because you look at highest graded coverage linebacker has allowed completions on. 81% of his targets, right? He's still allowing yeah. a lot of receptions. It's not about allowing receptions in coverage. It's limiting receptions allowed because so often your you know, receptions allowed in coverage are swings to the back, things in front of you that you have to limit, not miss tackles on and limit after the catch. I think you see you know, Dan Orlovsky had that breakdown on that game-winning play for Brashad Perriman where Brashad Perriman's coming on the crosser. Tremaine Edmonds has got to pick him up, and he's just not fast enough to pick him up, and then he allows that big touchdown like that. Being aware in that situation and limiting that play is everything, right? It's not about you know, getting a forced incompletion on that and diving across Prashad Perriman's face to get the fink forcing completion. It's about making sure Prashad Perriman doesn't turn that into a fucking 40-yard, yeah. 50-yard game-winning touchdown. And it's like that's a drag route within five yards of the line of scrimmage. You've got to at least contact him. Like you're saying, oh, you're not going to run stride for stride with Prashad Perriman. You don't have to. You got to slow him down. Him now. Yeah, you can hit him at that range like yeah. you're supposed to. Something I'm, I'd be so. interested in seeing, and I don't even know if we could pull this in ultimate currently, but it might have to do some work in Excel. But like looking at yards after the catch allowed per reception for some of this stuff, I think could yeah. be interesting. All right, bust watch the other bust, your favorite bust, Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fame bust. I like this pick a lot, a lot. Go ahead and say this one's it. intriguing. Cooper Cup. I'm interested. And I, I got a few things here. One, he's on pace, and just for this season, is on pace for an all-time season. And, and the other guys that he's in re- the air with who have had seasons like this, so he's on pace for the second-most yards all-time, second-most receptions in a season all-time, and the 15th-most touchdowns in a season all-time. Guys who have had seasons like that, whether it's Jerry Rice, Julio Jones, Calvin Johnson, are pretty much 
are all Hall of Famers or going to be Hall of Famers. The guys that have had years the way Cooper Cup is having a year right now for Los Angeles Rams. Also, he's only in year five, and now he is a little, was older when he's drafted. He's 20 years old. But through his first four years, he actually had more yards and more touchdowns than Antonio Brown did through his first four years. And now he's in year five, having, like I said, an all-time season and something that could be a sign of things to come because he's now with Matthew Stafford in Sean McVay's offense. And Matthew Stafford obviously throws him a shit ton of targets, already 150 on the year. And in that offense, this could be a four- or five-year stretch of Antonio Brown-esque play. Like I said, Antonio Brown had probably a five-year peak of just elite play. We could, you know, Cooper Cup through age 32 season could produce at a level quite like that. I think he and could that, that play boy, into the Larry Fitzgerald times. You know, I think I mean he could also. I think he could play that long. I yeah. think he could be that good for that long. When, how long would you say your peak was? I haven't honestly, even begun to peak. You haven't begun to peak. Jesus, <laughs> put people to shame if you haven't reached your peak yet. Because I, 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 I thought you maybe were on the downward slopes. Um, breakout watch. This is another phenomenal one. I think I always go to Bengals tape, looking for Jamar Chase. And looking at all his targets and excited to see what he's doing. But man, every single time you go back to it, this guy has actually been showing up. T. Higgins. And now you can say, oh, he broke out already, whatever. At 900 yards as a rookie, sure. But he now has three straight 100 yard games. Looked like was getting open at will this past week against the 49ers. 114 yards, five catches. Now it's 812 yards on the season and been a lot more consistent. Obviously, at the catch point, then Jamar Chase only four drops on the season on 61 catchable. And, dude, every time I see him, I feel like he, he's taller and, like, longer. That guy's wingspan is insane. He really should be, I mean, has started to be targeted more by Joe Burrow. He needs to be featured more in that offense because he can do, like, that tandem of Chase and Higgins. Like, a lot of, I feel like, the jump balls are kind of like the things are breaking down, let's throw something up, go to Jamar Chase when – Honestly, I think T. Higgins is probably better in those situations and has a, obviously a larger catch radius than Chase does. T. Higgins, too, I think we brought this up in the pre-draft process. I think we did a video for PFF breaking down some of his film and talked about how really good after the catch, and but smooth, right? I think his yeah. route running is so smooth for a guy that is his size. Yeah, you don't see a lot for a guy that tall. Yeah, it, it has been impressive. Whiff watch, you're up. This one hurts, and this one was obviously the big story of last week. Buffalo Bills not even trying to run the ball. And one of the biggest reasons why is because Cody Ford, their second rounder back in 2019, well, he's been benched at times this season, didn't even play this past week. Um, He was 22nd on the PFF draft board coming out of Oklahoma that year. We were big fans of his game. Thought at the very least, like he'd be a solid guard and really has not worked out at tackle, at guard, like I said, 46.7 overall grade so far this season can't even see the field on a bad offensive line that one not great gonna break up the show here a little bit to drop some breaking news oh, Talk love a bit. breaking news this better be good because your breaking news it, sometimes stinks this oh, fuck maybe i won't say it what stinks. is it uh we talked a little bit about the transfer portal to talk former indiana quarterback michael Penix jr is going to the washington huskies now Penix jr can find a power five gig i think nicks will 
I think Knicks will go somewhere in the Power Five. I wanted Penix Jr. maybe to San Diego State. When is San Diego State going to get one of these guys? It goes the opposite way, you realize. They go from San Diego State to a good team. No, no. They need to go to San Diego State. Brady Hoke is building a dynasty, a dynasty, if Mm. you will. Um, Last but not least, first-round lock segment, you are up. All right. This is our 17th first-round locker. Oh. Locker? I... Not going to read off all seventeen. Please time. don't. But Go back and listen know, to the pods. But just know, you'll be good. Get, get the social team on a graphic. Your when first we, round lock list on a graphic so far. I think that could be kind of hot. When we get to twenty, I don't need these out in the public. That's no, we do need. Exposed. What do you mean now in the public? You know how many people listen to this podcast? Millions, billions. I know, but that's, what are you going to do? Pull a clip and put it on old take Exposed? I don't think you so. might. So you might. So but I don't know if that's an expression. I am adding Michigan. Edge rusher David Ajabo. Oh wow! To the first round lock list. I think we. I believe we have three more after this, before it's going to be end of um, college football season, and then we're done with first round locks. Twenty first round locks. That's all I'm going to do. I think Maybe I'll get it all the way up to thirty two by the end. But twenty first round locks. David Ajabo is going to be one of them. Massive breakout season. To me, he's kind of like a an NBA lottery pick, where the NBA loves the guy who like you don't want to play if you're an athletic freak if you have the tools you don't really want to play one more than one year at college like you don't want to stay Mm -hmm. because all you can do is torpedo your draft stock people love the what if what Mm -hmm. could he be Mm -hmm. so david ajabo playing all of 26 snaps before this season and having like a good he's not near aiden hutchinson level but he is high-end athlete has the tools for the edge he could only hurt his stock by coming back right now he is like this guy who people are just salivating over oh what could he be that guy goes in the first round. That guy goes in the first round. If he comes back and plays the exact same level as he did this year, he goes maybe in the second, maybe in the third. He takes away all that sort of uh, wonder, that twinkle in GM's eyes of what he could be. David Ajabo, though, with what he's put on tape this season, will be a first-rounder. I mean, considering the hype that has been you know, tied to his name among other draft analysts, too, I think more connected draft analysts than we are. We kind of live somewhat in a bit of a silo until we get to the Combine and Senior Bowl and start having some conversations there. But I do think Ajabo, I mean, he's being consistently mocked as a top 10, top 10 player. I think that's a safe pick by you. Safe pick. Safe, risk-adverse pick Whew. from Mike Renner. That's going to do it for this episode of Tailgate. Just kidding. Bruce Feldman joins the show, and then at the back end, Western Michigan receiver, who Mike is calling this year's Deontay Johnson. Guess who Sky Moore's favorite player is? Deontay Johnson. Deontay Johnson. He's a big Pittsburgh Steelers fan. He's from PA. Listen to the interviews with Bruce Feldman and Sky Moore now. Now joining Tailgate is The Athletic's Bruce Feldman, a close friend of the show. You've been on this podcast before. It's great to have you back on. Good to be on with you guys. I always enjoy what you guys do. Thanks for having me. This has to be, I mean, okay, rate the craziest times of your year, right? Like, I think the freaks list, you talk about how much that takes you and, um, you know, you have to talk to coaches nonstop. But this time of year, especially with some of the craziness in the college coaching atmosphere, has to be up there with some of the craziest times of your year, right? Yeah, it's it's top of the leaderboard of crazy stuff. <laughs> uh, the freaks list is basically I handle the the pace of it, right. Of how, when I can cannot connect with it and everything, this, um, Lincoln Riley stuff is going down. It's a Sunday morning and I'm at my kid's karate class <laughs> and not an ideal time to be like stepping away from everything, but like, that's how it is. Right. It's like, you're constantly checking your phone like now. Um, and you get texts and you just don't know, is this something I got to jump on or not? And being on the West coast, um, I'm more, I'm not a great sleeper to begin with. So I'm usually up before 
you know, before five, but I don't need to be like four fourteen in the morning, like sleeping with the phone and glancing down. Is it lighting up or not? That's this time of year. I want to get into some of the coaching carousel stuff. And I'm sure a lot of the crazy conversations you've had around Lincoln Riley, Brian Kelly, these guys moving around, even uh, Venables. But another part of this, right, is this new era of college football. That is the transfer portal transfer portal being so much of a newsier piece. Now that, you know, players don't have to wait this year, you know, wait a year if they transfer to another power five program or whatever it is. You got Spencer Rattler in the portal. Keaton Slovis just announced today, Calzada, Bo Nix. What are you hearing? And I'm sure you probably can't speak to a lot of this, but what are you hearing if you can, in terms of landing spots for some of these big name quarterbacks, right? And then also where I'm most interested is what do you feel the consensus opinion is among coaches, among programs in this new era of the transfer portal, right? Like our team's liking it. I remember talking to Mel Tucker, of Michigan state who added a ton of transfer portal guys and he loved it, but there are other coaches, Mac Brown of UNC. I remember talking to saying, we want homegrown talent. We want to recruit guys. What would you say is the consensus opinion of like this new, like college football free agency for lack of a better word? I think most coaches have kind of got up to speed and really kind of realized this can really help us. We may have missed on like these offensive linemen or this position room for whatever reason didn't pan out. Now we can get proven guys who can jump in, who probably are more mature. We know their work ethic because it's not like, hey, it's the evaluation side of of high school guys where you don't really know how they're going to how they're going to blossom. So I think for a lot of coaches, this has been a godsend. And if you're not all embraced it and all in and have have done look credit to michigan state it wasn't just you know mel did a really good job of of mel had a very specific i remember when he was at cu doing a a recruiting story with him about the specs mel had in terms of what he likes length and height wise and i just remember thinking he was at cu and i was like man he's not gonna he's gonna get a lot of guys who might have those measurables in terms of height weight who are going to be really stiff and slow mm-hmm. because at CU, you're not being able to get that as what you can get at LSU or in the SEC or whatnot. And then he went to, went to East Lansing. And I think he and his guy, Scott Oligo, who actually is now at, at KU. And I think some of those position coaches did a really good job of identifying, not just Kenneth Walker, the third, but a bunch of guys who I think they knew could help them and let's take a chance on them. And also, I don't think they were that beholden to, because it was a new staff. Right. So they could really flip it after after one year. And they did. So I, I think, look, Mel had been in the NFL. I think Mel, Mel had been under Saban. I think he kind of knew what it looked like. So there are guys who did that. I mean, I look at LSU, you know, Ogeron was able to do that. It wasn't just with Joe Burrow, but it was with specialists. I mean, they had a kicker who was like a big difference maker that they got from Division three. You know, because he relied on Greg McMahon, a special teams guy, to identify these guys. And if you have guys who are who really are invested in it and can scout well, I think it can make it a huge difference right away. So with the transfer portal and also the rise of NIL deals, it's kind of looking like the Wild West out there in terms of the recruiting process. Do you foresee the NCAA coming in and either putting some sort of transfer portal window together where it's a, you know, a certain set amount of dates that guys can declare they're in the portal and then have to figure out their next stop by? Or what do you think is the future of the transfer portal? Or is it just going to be the sort of free-for-all towards the end of each season? I think they may try to rein in some of the dates of when it can happen. There's a lot of stuff that right now is in some measure of, of disarray, right? Even the early signing period, how you've seen it affect – 
what this calendar is like when a coaching changes. Having said that, right now, I feel like the NCAA's merits and worth as it relates to co- big-time college football is as far into the toilet as it's ever been, right? <laughs> I just, like, you know, even when you when you just said the NCAA, I just kind of, like, rolled my eyes. I'm like, what are they, you know, like, almost everything they've done at this point just feels like, they, like it's, it's like a, they're like a turnstile, you know? It's just... I don't know. I don't have a ton of ton of faith in in their leadership at this point. I think we've seen so many things happen over the years, but especially just in the last year where it's just like, eh, what is Mark Emmert going to do now? You know, it's kind of thing. So that's not the greatest answer, but I do think in light of the early signing period, in light of some of these other things that are happening, I mean, what you see is when a coaching firing happens, there's just a lot of players who are like, I can't wait around to see what's going to happen, right? One of the names, I don't know if you had mentioned it when you were talking about um, about Keaton Slovis and a handful of other guys transferred. Max Johnson had a really productive year on a bad team this year in disarray, especially you know midseason firing. He's in the portal. His brother, who's the top-ranked tight end, according to 247, also in the portal. That, that kid wants to be somewhere mid-year. I mean – do you wait to see who's going to be the offense coordinator, where somebody's going to get hired? I mean, there's just so many things that I think make what we're talking about really hard to, to line up because nobody's on the same timetable. So back to your thoughts on the NCAA there, do you think there's going to be a time in the near future where the NCAA is no longer the ruling body for college football? That is a big question. Um, it wouldn't shock me the way things are going, right? Because we're just seeing from the latest wave of realignment and everything where it's further marginalized, like the group of five. Um, you know, everybody, not everybody, but most people I've talked to who work in the sport feel like it's eventually going to get to that point. Now, whether we're talking about six years from now or 16 years from now, I, I don't know. But it, I definitely feel like it is heading in that direction. Like there was a time probably maybe a decade ago where if you talk to enough people around USC, they were like, yeah, because the, they were pissed off about the, the ruling in light, the NCAA ruling and the sanctions in light of the Reggie Bush investigation. And they were like, what do we need the PAC 12 for? If they're not really got our back, we're the ones who drive most of the revenue and the TV contract. And what do we need? You know, it's like, I think after a while that, minority i'm not saying it's a majority but i think there's a lot more people who are looking around going okay you know i know that they're good for non-revenue sports in a lot of ways but can we figure out how to get that working where we can jump into the deep end of the pool because we do not operate the same as you name it Uh, you could pick the you know whatever fcs program that's out there it's just, and they're all related to it in the governance, right? Ivy League schools just don't operate the same as SEC or Big Ten schools. But in the decision-making process, why are they so involved? That has been a big frustration. And I think even when you look at it as Conference USA schools, as it's, as it's constituted, AAC, this last wave of realignment torpedoed the AAC's you know, uh, strength. So yeah. I think... To see that they're going to be on close to a level playing field as part of this NCA model, 
I don't know if that's I, I'd not at all be surprised if that gets that gets um, marginalized even further to the point where there's real separation. I had one more question on some of the transfer portal stuff before we get to the coaching. And forgive me for being maybe oblivious or just like not super aware of the rules for this, but are there different rules for how teams can recruit some of these transfers, right? Like you obviously have like a lot of really set rigid rules on high school recruits, but now with the NIL deals and these different visits that you can take, like are teams recruiting transfers differently than they do high school recruits? And I guess how much differently? Well, so you, when you said the NIL thing, which is which is an interesting point, which I think you're touching on it, uh, is so if you ever if you guys look on Twitter and you could pick whatever really good player is out there, they may not follow you on Twitter, but they have an envelope there so you can DM them. Right mm-hmm. now, all of a sudden, think about it in this context: colleges. If you're a reporter and you cover, you pick the team, Oklahoma State, Oregon, whoever reporters before it was kind of taboo for them to directly contact players now uh and it's happened with nil where i think sids the people who are kind of gatekeepers for the media on that were like yeah we can't really prevent people from contacting them because it's a business opportunity in some way right yeah i'm not saying you guys at pff would do this but i know plenty of places whether it's like jocks does the, did this with bone nicks the radio the big radio station out of birmingham i know um, Billy Lucci's group, the Texas folks, they have deals with some of their players, um, to, for some of AM's players to, uh, to get them in the media. And so I think that has changed it. And I think what, you know, to get in, to get back to the original point is so in high school, you don't worry about somebody necessarily really poaching your player. You didn't before. Now schools realize even after signing day, they can lose a player because somebody else is like either tried to offer them something else or maybe the circumstances have changed. And I think you're seeing plenty of examples if you talk to coaches of players who get recruited off their roster, whether directly or indirectly. Um, and that is much different now than it was 10 years ago. That is wild, man. I think you you brought up Mike some of like if they gave some dates. I think from a co- I always kind of think about from like a content perspective. If there was like a set date range, I think it would be a frenzy similar to the NFL frenzy, which is made into a, a very big content piece. I like that, but I'm not sure what should happen. Let's get to some of this coaching stuff, right? I think a lot of surprises happened this coaching, you know, you know, this firing cycle, right? I think I wanted to ask you specifically what came the most out of left field. You know, I think on the outside looking in, me and Mike are not nowhere near as connected as you are. I was surprised by Brian Kelly. I was surprised by Lincoln Kel- uh, Lincoln Riley and these guys. What came out of the left field the most for you, right? What did you not see the writing on the wall for? Uh, it was Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma to go to USC. It wasn't so much that him leaving. I, it wouldn't have shocked me if he went to the NFL, mm-hmm. but it did shock me that he went to USC and I'll, I'll like put it in this context about two weeks before that there were reports out of, out of Louisiana that Scott Woodward, the AD there was going to land Lincoln Riley and that Lincoln was going there. There was figures of like eight years for $96 million. And so I had a pretty good source who said, you know, I, that's not going to happen. He's not going there. And I remember putting that out there and, you know, there was a little bit of blowback, but, but I think, you know, people kind of knew my background reporting wise. and was like, okay, maybe he's not going there. And then as we got closer to the Bedlam game, and I'm talking there was a 10-day stretch, 
those reports escalated and kept going to the point where I was like, I'm pretty sure that, you know, like I talked to the source and the source was like, he's not going there. I was like, I felt better about it, but there was so much pushback on it. Well, then they lose Bedlam. And then the next morning I get a call from a different source, but a really good source on this saying Lincoln's seriously looking at USC. And I think it's going to happen. And it just kind of was like on two fronts. The first part of it to me was, and this is that Sunday morning was okay. USC, like USC will screw this up. I can't see Lincoln Riley going, yeah, I want to go work there. Like, so that part of it was like (laughs) me kind of saying, I just can't see them pulling up. But then the second part as a reporter is I just spent two weeks basically like reporting to dismiss the reports about LSU. And now I'm going to turn around honestly and report that an operation that seems even less likely to be able to pull something like that off is actually going to pull it off. And I was like, man, you know, you think about like, all right, my source is telling me this and my source is really strong. But at the same point, I'm like, man, I am going to get torpedoed as soon as I put this out on social media. And I did um, as as delicately as I could. And then about an hour later, like fortunately, I was at my kid's karate class, so I'm not like looking at my out mentions. But an hour later, I got a call back and that person was like, he's going. And I was just like, wow. And so Ryan Kelly leaving didn't shock me like that because there had been there had been rumblings from people I trust that Brian Kelly could have been in play at a couple of places. It didn't work wow. that way, work out that way. But fascinating fit, as we're seeing from, you know, different things that have gone on social media already. But him leaving, being at Notre Dame for 12 years is a long time for any coach. And so um, – it was, you know, it wasn't I expected, but it wasn't like shocking, like, wow, Lincoln's leaving for another college job. What do you think was the driving factor behind Lincoln and Riley and Brian Kelly going? Is it just money for those guys? Obviously, Mario Cristobal, a big move as well, but he obviously goes back to his alma mater. But Riley and Kelly, no real ties to LSU and USC. Was it purely just a money player? Do you think they have better opportunities to win at those respective places? I think it is better opportunity to win and if you look at oklahoma lincoln riley's going into the one place in major college football where there is such an advantage compared to the rest of your conference you know you can have blue bloods like alabama and ohio state but there's ohio state and then there's michigan and there's alabama and there's lsu and there's texas a&m and there's georgia you know it's just like yeah you can you just don't have a huge competitive advantage like at usc you were surrounded with the most talent on the West coast, but like, yeah, UCLA is there. UCLA is not resourced to compete at the same level as USC. Mm -hmm. It's just different. And USC has this great history that it can sell. A lot of the people down here in Southern California, their kids either growing up, want to be Trojans or their families do. So I think he knew that landscape. And I think that's why it was attractive. Um, on the Brian Kelly part, you know, we've heard about this. Our, my, me and my colleagues have reported this at The Athletic about just how much frustration there had been for Brian Kelly about a lot of resource-wise things where there were either battles or things they couldn't get done. I know there was a lot of, you know, I think the relationship with he and the AD had become, had become increasingly uh, frosty. And eventually he was like, all right, I'm going to take this job. And he made the big move and we'll see how it works out. Do you think this is the start of a trend or is this kind of just two, a few fluky moves in one offseason? 
I think they're fluky, but it wouldn't surprise me if they're a trend because once these things start to happen, you know, it's like coaching salaries don't go the other way. You know, it's like they keep going up and up and up. And now we're talking about coaches who have not won national titles making, making I guess it's eight figures a year. That's, that is significant. All right, last coaching question here. The one guy we haven't talked about, Luke Fickle, in the college football playoff, doing a heck of a job here in Cincinnati, where we're at. Is he staying in Cincinnati long-term, or is he still biding time waiting for the right opportunity? I think he will stay there for for a long term. I don't know where he what the NFL means to him, if anything. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got a big family, young kids. I know we know he likes it. He is an Ohio guy through and through. Now, if Ohio State came open and Ryan Day said, I'm gonna leave for the NFL, I think that would be a different that could be a game changer. But if you look at how he's recruited, how they develop talent. I think he knows he has elevated the brand of Cincinnati football significantly. And now they're going into the Big 12, the Big 12 without Texas and OU. I mean, they're as well positioned as anybody. I mean, you guys are there. You know how much talent is around you and not within driving distance. Mm-hmm. And now their brand is elevated. I can only imagine what kind of boost they're going to get from being in the playoff on that stage. Um, and also, like last year, they played in the Sugar Bowl against Georgia, and they almost won that game. You know, there was nothing fluky about how they almost won the game. So they're not going to go into this game intimidated. I wouldn't be shocked if they won the game, to be honest. I mean, you know, we, we all talk to enough NFL people to know there's a lot of good players, not just like one. Both cornerbacks are good. Both edge rushers are good. There was, the running back played at Alabama and could certainly play any place else. You know, receivers are good. Quarterback's a good player. So – I'm interested to see how it goes, but I think they 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 build on it in a in a big way, and um, you know, like I could see NFL people wanting to wanting to look at him because honestly, you know, he's probably I would stop short of saying this, but like, I mean, I don't know, I don't want to say about Urban, but like he's probably <laughs> you know as positioned to understand, hey, I could transition well to the NFL if I want to go up because it's just not as big of a cultural jump as it is for, you know, the last Ohio state head coach. 100. I mean, I think Luke fickle, you talk about him around Cincinnati. I mean, he is talked about as this revered, like godlike presence for what he's done in this program. I and mean, he came in, I remember I was on the beat when I first got to Cincinnati and there were other beat writers saying, yeah, now we practice special teams They got Tuberville before. And we never practiced special teams. Like these players were like thrown for an absolute loop. Fickle legitimately has changed everything and how much he's developed three, two star and three star talent, received transfers, all that stuff. And they're, they're not just a good football team. They're an experienced football team. I think that will help them against Bama. Bruce, last one for you. And then we'll let you go. Really appreciate the time we had you on this podcast before the season right after you wrote the 2021 version of your freaks list which is highlights the most athletic players in all of college football it's like by itself worth the athletic subscription by the way if you do not have an athletic subscription subscribe for bruce's work and everyone else is there you had aiden hutchinson the michigan edge defender who's also a finalist for the heisman as the number two freak on that list behind evan neal because of some of the numbers you were hearing athletically coming out of michigan I guess a lot of hype has now hit, hit Aiden Hutchinson since that. Are you, I guess, as confident as others that he can be this number one overall pick now? Like, he has risen up so many people's draft boards. I think every mock draft you look at has him number one overall. Jim Harbaugh said he was the number one overall pick, obviously with some bias there. But I guess are you surprised by this ascent? And what are you hearing in terms of NFL prospects for Aiden Hutchinson now? 
I think he will be a difference maker in the NFL because, you know, the joke, wink, wink is, oh, he must have a really good motor. No, he, I wouldn't have, he wouldn't have been number two on my freaks list if he was not a elite athlete. Mm-hmm. And the stuff I had heard from the sources I have inside the Michigan program and those staff, those staffers was gushing and pretty much everything that we've seen they talked they were talked about that that was happening now could i have told you hassan haskins was gonna run like he has no did i think their offensive line would have been quite as good no but him as a as a special defensive lineman and a leader and a bringing it every snap and he's good against the run and he's just like i mean to me he is a safe pick in terms of you will get a guy who will go to a half dozen pro bowls now i don't know you know a lot of it is injury risk related down the road because you just never know for sure but like if you're talking about he's a first pick of the draft he's a second pick of the draft i'm like okay he's going to go to pro bowls he will not be a bust and he will make that team better i could absolutely see it um you know because we saw what he did i mean i i don't think you can underscore how big of it a deal it is for them to do what they did at when the head coach everyone's saying is on the hot seat, the, the defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald, is a first-time defensive coordinator, and they had gotten embarrassed on big stages, right? You guys mm-hmm. are in the Big Ten footprint. You know what, like, the, what the vibe outside of Michigan football was around it. And credit to him and guys like Josh Ross, who's a linebacker, and a few other, you know, veteran guys who live it. Um, Because they had, you know, their second generation Wolverines or maybe even more than second generation Wolverines. And I think to to do that, I think that bodes really well of what kind of NFL player he's going to be. He's not just like a workout warrior. He's not, not just like a guy who makes three big plays a game and they're on highlights. I think he's a guy who changes the locker room and raises everybody. And for those reasons, that's why I think. You know, my team has the first pick in the draft, and they draft him. I'm like, sign me up. Let's go. Couldn't agree more. Bruce, this was fantastic. Really appreciate this, uh, you jumping on the show. Make sure you follow Bruce on Twitter, Bruce Feldman, CFB on Twitter, and subscribe to The Athletic Man. Read his work. You do a lot of great things. Bruce, thanks again. Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is current Western Michigan receiver, Sky Moore. Sky, we're talking a little bit before the show. Super excited about this breakout season, man. Super excited to get you on this podcast. We've been so impressed with your game so far this year. Thanks again for jumping on uh, the podcast here. Yeah, no problem. I'm happy to be here. Let, let's start with um, you know, what really you feel has fueled this breakout season, right? I know that's a little bit of a broader question, but you were saying you know, D, D. Eskridge played such a big role in that. Speak to the relationship you have with him and how much he's kind of fueled some of this success for you. Yeah, for sure. I would say like, him coming back, I know it was like a big decision for him to 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 leave or come back mm-hmm. his fifth year or whatever. But him coming back was probably the best thing for my game. I was able to see, I was able to see how much a professional he was, whether it was taking taking care of his body or just the way he approached football. Period. So I yeah. was able to just sit in the back and really just observe what like how he approached the game, and it just made me a ten times a better player. Yeah, I think a lot of, you know, I talked to a handful of 
guys like yourself that have these like next step seasons, a lot of the times it is another player, right. That has like paved the way for some of the success. I think it's smart for you to say and mirror some of your game off of his and mirror what he's done on and off the field. I think is fantastic. I also know you're a big Steelers guy from Pennsylvania. And I see on your Twitter timeline, you've retweeted some Deontay Johnson stuff, but some people I've talked to compare your game a little bit to Deontay Johnson. Uh, Are you a big Deontay Johnson fan, Steelers fan? Talk about that. That's my guy. I'm a Steelers fan, but I'm, I'm definitely a, a Deontay Johnson fan. He's he's my favorite receiver on our team, and like he, I put him top five. And but yeah, you know, people don't want to hear that. Hear <laughs> I might I might be right there with you, man. I think a lot of people knocked him coming out small school, smaller frame, right? Like he's not a bigger guy, but he wins at the line of scrimmage. He's a great separator, and he forces a ton of broken tackles. Like that's like his game, and yeah. I think it's very similar to your game. So I'm not surprised that he's one of your favorite receivers, if not your favorite receiver. So that's awesome. I want to talk more about your game specifically. You know, when I turn on your tape at Western Michigan, you do win down the football field. You can fly. You can stretch the field. You can be this deep threat that you know D. Eskridge was at Western Michigan. But a lot of the you know exciting plays on your tape is also you breaking tackles and winning after the catch and taking some of these shorter passes down. Where do you feel like your biggest strength is, right? What is your trump card when you step on the football field? What do you feel separates you, I guess, from other receivers in college football? Uh, I I couldn't necessarily pinpoint it. I just feel like I'm a playmaker. You give me the ball, I'm a playmaker. Mm-hmm. Just I'm a, I'm a do. It might not look the prettiest all the time, but I'm a, <laughs> I'm a do what needs to get done. Yeah, I think that's 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 not a bad thing to be. I'll say that. Be a playmaker. Where so right. you know, D obviously helping you being that role model, right? But even on your own time, you know, maybe this maybe this past off season, what was yeah. some of the work that you did to prepare for this year? Right? Was it a lot of film study? Was it a lot of weight room stuff? Or where do you think you put so much of your emphasis this off season as you prepared, obviously, to step into these shoes that Eskridge left? Uh, I feel like I feel like over. Like from from last season to this season, I got I got more explosive, mm-hmm. more more like I probably got a little faster, you know what I'm saying. So I yeah. got in the I got in the gym with my strength and conditioning coach G two, and we were able to work on things like that as far as like the metrics and stuff go. But for me for me my biggest emphasis was I went down and trained with Receiver Factory in Florida okay. for, for like probably about a week a week or and a half. And that just added, like, my receiver coach, Coach Harbaugh, he always he always says, like, you have a toolbox of, of like, what you can do. And I just wanted to keep adding to my toolbox and, I, and going down there and training with the other top guys that, that he has, ha, that he trains, it just added to my toolbox. And I feel like I was able to take that and translate it to the field. Yeah, that's that's awesome, man. I think adding adding explosiveness is probably something that every receiver in college football probably wants to do every offseason, but also adding that layer right of improved technique, improving that toolbox and all the toolbox and all that stuff. Speak more to in-season preparation. I always find it wild what receivers do to prepare for certain quarterbacks or certain defenses in the season. Like when you're tuned up, when you turn on the film, what are you looking for tendencies-wise? against the corner and like, I guess, what is that process like Monday through Saturday, right? What, what film are you watching and what you're turning on and what are you trying to take away from it? Uh, well, immediately when I, when I go, when I go and um, watch film on a corner, I see how he is at the line. I, mm-hmm. Like, obviously I feel like, I feel like I want to see what type of technique he plays with, whether he plays catch, whether he's more of a mirror guy, like if he's good with his hands, I look at stuff like that. I, I want to see like what type of dude I'm going against because for me, I, I I talk to the scout team players a lot. I mm-hmm. let I let the corner know like, yo, he's doing this this week. I need this from you. Oh, really? So, 
Yeah, like on some uh Jeremiah Piper. That's that's my guy. He's on the scout team. Nice. He he uh he's he's the best at it because he's able to switch his game up and act like these other dudes from like Pitt or San Jose State. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I'll look and, and just see their technique and how they play. That that is one of the, honestly, you're one of the first people that has told me that. I think a lot of people bring up looking for tendencies and doing that things, but actually like coaching up or directing scout team players to mirror that I think is super important because you see that with quarterbacks all the time right like we're playing Lamar Jackson this week we got to have you know someone who can run the football and be elusive and that stuff but I think you need that same energy or that same approach with corners and stuff because there are you know some corners are more physical some corners back off at the line of scrimmage some corners play more bail technique and these different things I think that's that's awesome I'm glad you have a guy on scout team to do that I think that's freaking fantastic um how about uh off the field you know where do you think or maybe like whether it's weight room or diet, I think I talked to a lot or football IQ, like studying some of these other things. Where mm-hmm. is, do you think, feel like that has improved, right? When I talk to some guys who have had like leaps like you, so mm-hmm. much of it is football IQ improving. Like they know the plays, they understand, they can play, rec- you know, their play recognition, coverage recognition has improved. Would you say that's an area you've improved? Also diet sometimes is a big change for some of these guys as well. Yeah, for sure. I'd say the big, like all of those things are great things to like, have like do do off the field yeah but for me like what i put in place the difference was getting in the training room i've been in the training room every single day since the since the start of camp and i remember that's another thing d d always preached like yo like you're gonna get old you're gonna get older one day like you ain't gonna be 18 just running around and jumping on the field anymore so I always work with our trainers. Even if I'm even if I'm not banged up, I'll go through my little routine stretches or rollout or just something, just something to help my body. So recovery is definitely plays a big role in everything I was able to accomplish all season. What's your mindset like right now, right? Like preparing for this bowl game coming up for Western Michigan, then also kind of heading into the off season. Do you have goals in mind now that like a bulk majority of the season's behind you? What are some goals that you have to continue to take your game to the next level? Right. Like you said, I want to, I want to be able to eat better. I want to continue to add to my, to my toolbox. I want to, I just want to put myself, I'd say the biggest thing is put myself around other elite players. Mm-hmm. to where I have no choice but to excel, you know what I'm saying, get better. Yeah. One so, of the – one of the I, I was talking to a player recently, I can't remember who it was. It was someone – or it was Kirby Joseph in Illinois Safety, and he said one of the ways to be great is to surround yourself with great players but also make others players great, right? Like you playing that role of D. Eskridge with some of the younger receivers on Western Michigan is only going to make you better. And that same thing you talk about, like – by coaching up that scout team corner, right? Like making him better is going to make you better and making the people around you. Is going to, I think it, like stepping into like a legitimate leadership role is an obvious next step for you, right? If not, you already have one already. Speaking of that, what would you say is your leadership style, right? When you become the big dog on campus, when you become you know, Western Michigan's leading receiver, there's an expectation to lead that receiver room. How would you say, you know, how would you describe your leadership style and how that has progressed for you at Western Michigan? Uh yeah, that's always something. I was always more kind of like a guy put my head down and just would say. I'd say so far, like from from more to year, my leadership my leadership style is definitely like by example. I'm not the most vocal guy, but when I do talk, people listen. Mm-hmm. So my coach always t- my coach always tells me I need to become more vocal 
because you know what I'm saying? People respect me. But as of now, I'll definitely put lead by example as my leadership style. Yeah, I think lean by example and, and speaking only when it matters can obviously be a super fired up when there's these other guys that definitely talk more and all that stuff. That's that's exciting to hear um, from a from a route running perspective. That, in my opinion, is this toolbox, right? Adding releases, adding different you know ways to break at the stem and stuff like that. Is that an area that you see as not a focus in this offseason? And I guess what are some of the things that you plan on doing to kind of continue to improve and what is already obviously a strength of yours? Yeah, I'm I'm. I'm always I'm always trying to look to get better in route, uh, route running. Mm-hmm. The way I see it is I'm always approaching, never arriving with that. Like, that's one of those things. Like, you can never just be the best route runner. You can always find little little things to get better at. So, yeah, I feel like this is – honestly, this is my third year playing receiver. I was a quarterback in a – Really? Corner. I was a quarterback in a corner in high school. That's and crazy. Coach, Coach Lester switched me to receiver, so I'm still trying to figure out I'm still young, new to new to the position. Yeah. So I try to like anything I can find. I'll, I'm a sponge. I'm gonna take from everybody. I'm taking from everybody's toolbox. You know what? You know, that honestly doesn't really. You know, I'm obviously a little bit shocked because you have a lot of like skill and 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 there's like polish to your game that you would expect from someone who's been playing receiver for a long time. But it also doesn't really surprise me. De- Deontay Johnson didn't play receiver until college. Deontay Johnson was a quarterback in high school too, right? Like it's a. It, there are some of these guys right that because you're the most athletic guy in the football field in high school, they put you at quarterback. You know, they're like, yeah, I put you at quarterback because that's the most important position. So it's not all that surprising, I guess, but that's awesome to see how much your game has developed at this position, knowing that you're coming from obviously a high school quarterback background. What was your style in high school at QB, man? Were you winning games there or what? Or were you terrible? Was it, what was the, what was the throwing game? Like, I need to hear that. It was, it was was decent. I, I, uh, I threw for, I threw for a thousand yards every, every time. Not bad. Every time I was quarterback, we. Yeah. But I was definitely a. I was more of a. We're calling four verts. If nobody's open, I'm running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. You know I mean, saying? that's not a bad strategy. <laughs> yeah, that, that's awesome. And you played some corner too, so you kind of understand that side of the ball, man. That that's that's phenomenal here. Yeah, I remember talking to Deontay. He was at the combine or sometime before the draft, and him talking about making that transition from QB to receiver sometimes isn't as hard as people think because you are someone who already has command of the playbook and understand like route depths and how like, people are supposed to be spread out and all that type of shit. So this was a phenomenal interview, Sky. This is fantastic. I hope to get you back on the show soon, and I wish you the best of luck in this upcoming bowl game against Nevada, and also best of luck this offseason because this was uh, a phenomenal year, obviously, and I think only next year you're going to continue to prove. Sir, I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. And we are out of here. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast mailbag episode coming up on Thursday. You leave a podcast and Apple Reviews. Intern Max Chadwick is going to rip it up, put it in our doc, and we are going to answer that question live on the show. Make sure you do that. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, Tailgate. Tailgate.